0: And if you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus told his disciples in that upper room that they're going to know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so we are called to be in community. It's hard to be a disciple of Jesus all by yourself. We need each other. we talked about that last week. We talked about how the elders... Are responsible under Jesus in the authority of the church. Jesus is the head. The elders are responsible for the body, and then everything else is organized um, as community, and we need each other. So we talked about that last week. But you know, as as we've been in just kind of this strange time these last couple of years, there's a lot of stress. Uh, I came across a book by John Mark Comer. It was a little uh, ebook that he wrote during the pandemic. And it, the title is, We Don't Know What's Going to Happen, and That's Okay. And he just said several things about it. But he said made this statement about um, uncertainty. And I am uncertain. Ah, there we go. He said, that feeling in your body... That cocktail of fear and grief and confusion is uncertainty. And uncertainty is more than the sum of its parts. It's not just uncertainty or the absence of certainty. It's the presence of fear an unnamed dread awaiting for the other's shoe to drop. I like that. And I think that explains some of the kinds of things we're seeing. I talked to another friend this week. Um, he's a retired pastor and he was he has been mentoring some church planters and and then we talked again about how strange this season has been where people have reacted just in difficult ways and in harsh ways there's been kind of this struggle some of it has to do with uncertainty making us want to gain control and so we try to control stuff and Part of life is recognizing there's a lot we can't control. We know the one who does, but we don't ourselves. So um, as we talk about this uh, topic of how do we live as the body of Christ, and specifically the roles of men and women, there can be uncertainty with this, and there can be uncertainty in in terms of our future. Hey, we're selling the building, and we're gonna move our location of meeting. And there can be uncertainty because there's this war going on in Ukraine. And there can be uncertainty about what's gonna happen. And I wanna remind you that things are not what they seem. When we're told to pray, And when we're told to put on spiritual armor, we're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the world forces of this darkness. So as followers of Jesus, we have to cling to that. We've got to understand that we need to connect to him and connect to each other and be prepared to think um, differently than just what we're being squeezed by the world around us to think. So I'd like us to pray. Uh, Today has been called, just as a side note, today has been uh, called as a day of prayer for Ukraine um, by uh, a broad section of churches. And so today it would be great to pray for Ukraine and the situation there that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done. But would you just pray right now before we dig into the word together and just ask the Lord to speak to you and then I'll pray for us. Father, I just ask that your spirit would accomplish your will this morning as we look at the scriptures together. Would you apply them to our hearts, help them live them out well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we looked at Ephesians 4, we looked at the last part of it where Paul talks about the body and how we need each other and every part needs to function. We're going to start by looking at what he said in the first part of chapter 4. It's really good. So Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Paul, you know, is in prison. He's suffering for (laughs) the gospel. And he calls for believers to live like a follower of Jesus. Be gentle with one another. Be humble with one another. A good definition for humility, um, not mine, someone else's, is humility is not presuming. So as you approach a situation, don't presume you know what the person's thinking. Not pushing, not trying to get your way over their will. Asking, talking, but not pushing. And not pretending. How often do we pretend to know something we don't out of embarrassment or to not have done something we've done? Humility is just putting those aside with each other How much better would we be if we all lived in humility and gentleness and tolerance for one another in terms of kindness? That's a part of the one another. That's a part of loving one another. And then he continues, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Our connection to one another matters. It's a part of our discipleship. Our unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as call, as you also were called, in one hope of your calling. Look at these ones, and then it continues. Um, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So our unity matters. Our connection to one another matters. And obviously, you remember, unity doesn't mean we're all exactly the same. We're not. And it, what it says to us is each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, what Paul then talks about is um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's a whole other topic I can't get into this morning. But the clear thing here is every person in the body, every single individual, has a grace given to them by God. Every believer is grace gifted. So how do we unlock that? Well, when you talk about the roles of men and women, there are different opinions, and there are different ways of interpreting different passages, and so the elders have wrestled with those. They've been asked some questions. The elders have wrestled with those, and they've prepared a paper, and I'll tell you about that a little bit more in a minute, but I want to show you some of the thinking behind that paper, and so I want to start with Corinthians. Ephesians is a great book because it's kind of a general epistle. He's not, Paul isn't, he's addressing believers in general and he's not talking about any specific issue. But when you get to the books of Corinthians, that's a different story. There were things going on there that were not right and Paul had to write to correct some things that were wrong. There was a woman named Chloe who wrote to, To Paul, and Paul in this first book says he's responding. He says Chloe reports these things to you, so there was something happening there. But the summary of what Paul is pushing for is this: we see this in verse chapter 14, verse 40. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So he's concerned about this gathering of believers that there not be chaos breaking out. So um, this morning I went back to the, to the sound booth and said I, I need to see the order of service because I needed to know when I was supposed to get up here. And we didn't have a printed one this morning, but there was an electronic one. Every time, you know, we get together, there's an order to our service so people know who's going to do what when. And that just allows there to be less chaos here. Well, sometimes, you know, when we have sharing, we try to create some structure for that so that not everybody's trying to talk at once. Well, we'll see as we look at this that there was the opportunity for that. So Paul is trying to correct that and help that. So, as he gives these instructions, some of them look challenging. So I want to give you a contrast. Here, specifically, women are mentioned. So in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the same book, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, in 1 Corinthians 11:5, 5, it says, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Wow, we could, you know, write a book about this verse in and of itself, but I want to point out a couple things to you. First of all, Paul is saying how women can pray and prophesy. Now, the whole head covering thing, that's a cultural stuff that I don't have some categories for. But they did. It's not shameful for us. I mean, you think about hairstyles. Is it shameful for a woman to have her head shaved? I know most women would not prefer that, but I've seen some women who choose that. So it's not in our culture the same way that it would have been in their culture about what that mean is. But the thing that's important to us this morning is to recognize that Paul is saying in verse 11 or chapter 11 that women have a way of praying and prophesying. But then in 14, he says the women are to keep silent in the churches. So how can it be that they are keeping silent in the churches and praying and prophesying? How do you put those together? Well, we've got to understand the larger story. So let's back up. you move it i think this is the battery and this is dead okay what is the outcome then brethren when you assemble each one has a psalm has a teaching has a revelation has a tongue has an interpretation let all things be done for edification So remember what i said is he's trying to prevent a free-for-all when they came together in the church they came as a group and people brought what they felt like god had said to them or what god was showing them And they all shared something together. And he's trying to create a situation where there's order. So then he continues. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent, there's that word, in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So Paul is saying, If someone's going to speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. Otherwise, keep quiet. He's not saying never speak again. He's saying, in this situation, don't talk. You limit yourself, again, because of edification. It's not going to be edifying if there's no interpreter. And then the next thing he says is, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. See, all of this instruction about silence has to do with the order of the service so that it doesn't become chaotic. Then he says this the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to subject, subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Again, He's just talked about them prophesying and praying. So what's the context here? Well, I think we get a little bit of it with verse 35. Apparently, in this situation, there were women who are interrupting the service in terms of asking questions. So um, part of our, again, you've got to think in terms of how there are some cultural matters here. That we don't understand. So, um, I used to go to Kazakhstan. I had an opportunity to teach at a little seminary there when we were involved. And and then later, I got a chance to do some things in the city of Taraz. Well, one time that I went there, it had been like I traveled all the way from the States, and so it's a long, you know, just getting to Kazakhstan, it takes time. But then I got on a train after I got there. And and rode a train all night, and so I'm I'm staying with a family, and so it's been a long time. It's like been this you know trains, planes, and automobiles kinds of thing all the way to get there, and I'm exhausted. And so two men pick me up. They take me home to the to one of the men's homes, and I walk in, and they tell me that I'm going to be upstairs. I walk in and I start walking up the stairs, and there's silence behind me. And I turn around, and they both have the most horrified, I mean, just horrified look on their faces, and they're looking at me. And I, I had no idea until they told me, Mark, you didn't take your shoes off. It's offensive to wear your shoes in the house. And I had done that. I was walking upstairs, and I knew that. I knew you took your shoes off, but I hadn't done it. Um, Because, again, I wasn't thinking. Because, you know, it's not offensive. You're not, if I walk into your house and have my shoes on, you know, you might not like it, but you're not going to be offended. I had, you know, it was, the looks on their faces was just shocking. So I I took my shoes off, and we we were fine the rest of the time. But But the point is, sometimes I think we can't understand the reaction culturally to some of the things in the text because we're not of that culture in terms of the the shame about the head shaved and that kind of thing. So the larger picture here is in this same chapter, he's told those that speak in tongues to be silent. He's told those who prophesy to be silent. And now he's saying to women be silent. I don't think that is a prescription of silent all the time. It has to do with this context. So let's talk about another one. I wrote a whole paper on this in seminary. And it, it's, this is one of the things that there's a lot of discussion about. It's a tough thing to explore. But it says, this is in writing to Timothy, Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And then he goes on to talk about creation. And he talks about um, creation order and other things. Well, again, think about the cultural dimensions of this. If you, One of the books that I've read talks about how in the synagogue, when they got to explaining the law, the women were, were asked to leave. In other words, they were there for part of the service or their time, but then when they were doing the teaching in the law, the women had to leave. So women were not instructed. Now, this is a Greek culture, different in Obviously, we see businesswomen in, in uh, Greece. We see Paul encounter Lydia, the seller of purple, and that kind of thing. But we don't have a context, I think, to understand this kind of teaching. So for a rabbi, he would exercise a certain amount of control over his students. They would live with him. Think about the disciples as they followed and lived with Jesus. They would, he would exercise a certain amount of authority over their lives. Our teachers don't do that. You know, the teacher might in a classroom might exercise authority over asking people to be silent, but it's not the same. They're not dimensions of life. So the way we're looking at this, um, the way the elders are looking at this, is more in terms of that kind of mentor, where you're taking control over a person's life, where you're where you're, um, you're kind of running it in a way. Not not run, that's not the best way to example, but you're exercising authority in that kind of way. And, and so the application of this would be that we would not think it would be good for a woman by herself to be a mentor or like discipler of a man by himself and obviously flip that around. We don't think that that's a good idea. That's more the idea behind this other than the kind of sharing a, sharing thoughts and doing some instruction that involves um, giving information to people that doesn't have this kind of authority to it. So, but let's go back to, um, can you go to the next one? Go to this in Galatians. So you remember the church struggled in terms of categories of people. Remember, Brian talked a few weeks ago about how there was a Jerusalem council because the church hadn't figured out which was largely Jewish, to deal with Gentiles. They had for a long time thought of Gentiles as unclean, and now they're in the same body together, and how do? what are our expectations of each other? Well, as Paul's writing about this, he goes to all the different kinds of things that could create division. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So, however you want to interpret what the scriptures say, you have to come back to this, so that any way you look at things, you're not creating second-class citizens. You know, um, if you if you if you think about what divides humanity, there is a them and an us, and people do that along racial issues. They do that along gender issues. They do that along political issues. And what we're supposed to recognize is every single human being has been created by God. They have worth and value and dignity. And as I said earlier in this message, in Ephesians 4, we're told that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So they are Holy Spirit indwelled and gifted. We were, I told you that the elders are concerned about, and Jim talked about this, the elders are concerned about releasing the giftings in the body so that every part plays a role and does how, works and functions how they are Holy Spirit gifted. So what's interesting though, And this comes down back to the authority. I'm going to get there in a minute. Paul tells us in Ephesians, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you." That comes back to that concept of how we love one another. And then he says, "Keep going." He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. We've been doing that. And then he says this, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We're supposed to have a relationship with one another where we listen to one another. And that may mean subjecting ourselves to one another and being concerned about what someone says to us. Have you ever had someone, a friend, say something really important to you that meant you needed to make a change? And you recognized that and received it. See, that's what this is talking about. We're supposed to be subject to one another. It's interesting in Ephesians where Paul says this, when he talks about husbands and wives, he is careful to say own wife and own husband. So that dynamic of a husband loving his wife and a wife respecting and even submitting is one of the ways it's translated in part of that verse. It's to her own husband. It's not all men and all women to each other. So as a woman, you are not subject to all men. It doesn't exist. What it says is that in the marriage relationship there is a relationship that God has designed because He's holding the husband responsible for the well being of the family. But they're both leaders, and they both have things to say, important things to say. That doesn't apply, though, outside of, like, all women and all men. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's very careful when he says, own your own husband and your own wife. Here it says, be subject to one another. And that's what body life is about, where we recognize the spirit in one another, and we receive what the spirit is saying you have a perspective you have things to say you have things to contribute and that's what god that's what the owners are concerned about releasing but that's what paul has been talking about all along so how do i summarize this and then i'll tell you about the paper well first every person is gifted if you are a follower of jesus if you have received the holy spirit you have been given a gift Or gifts. And the body needs them. We need each other. Secondly, the instruction about silence from women has a very specific setting. It's not this general command. It's not this statement that women can never, once they walk into the gathering, must be silent. We don't believe that that's what it's teaching. Men and women are equally gifted and have roles to play. We believe that strongly. And so the elders have written this out for you. It's about a nine-page document, but the last page is footnotes. So they would love for you to pick up a copy. There's copies here on the stage. If we run out, we'll print more. But they would love for you to read that. There's going to be a discussion open um, in April about that, but they'd love for you to take it home, look at it, read it and understand because we've been asked this question the elders have been asked this question so they wanted to put out in writing and from some teaching they asked me to explain this so that you would know so the core of this is we still think jesus is the head of the church we haven't changed that we still think the church is led by a team of elders not one elder not There's no CEO structure with a chain. It's a group of elders that have authority as a team making decisions in unity under Jesus. And then the rest of the authority is delegated by the elders for specific tasks, for specific roles, and everything is underneath that. So that's explained in this document. We hope that you will take a look at it, um, and, uh, and I'm done. I think so. Um, let me pray for us. Father, this is your church. We are your people. Lord, uh, there's been a lot of pressure on churches created by this season that we've been through and you are working to refine your church to make us more and more like you we sang this morning if you're not dead we're not dead you're not done and so lord we want to receive from you what you are doing as a community we want to love and honor one another And we want to walk with you together. Things are changing. That can be scary. But we know, Father, that you have a glorious future for us. We don't want to stay the same. We want to become more like you. And we want to walk with you into that. We don't want to shrink back from the things that you have for us. So, Lord, we just pray that you would help us pay attention to you.